So during our sermon today, we are going to, um, we're going to be talking about Romans 2, and I'm really blessed. I just realized I didn't even pull my sermon notes up, so I'm winging it today. I'm kidding. I'm pulling up my sermon notes. You're welcome. Um, so we are, uh, we're, we're just going to step into Romans 2, and if you were in Bible study this morning, you know that it got heavy at the end. Um, that's because Romans 1 ends with a lot of God's judgment. Um, and so I re- want to remind you to be involved on Slack. We're going to have discussions there, and uh, we're already seeing activity on Slack, so I'm thankful for that. But Romans 1 lays a pretty clear track about how God's wrath burns against all forms of evil that normal, everyday people commit. God's wrath burns against all forms of peop- all forms of evil. Now that's an important distinction. It's all forms of evil that, that people commit. So as we enter into the discussion about chapter 2, we need to start off with the concluding words of the last chapter. So let me pray. Then I'm going to read Romans 1, 28 to 32. God, prepare our hearts for your word. I know you have a word to be spoken to people today that is strong, that is good. And Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified in this sermon, that we would learn and know your word in a whole new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I do have a ringing in my ears uh, due to the sound or whatever, and if that's able to get fixed, that would be awesome. Um, okay, so Romans 1, 28 to 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they, the people, the culture, did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled With all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. All I'm going to highlight from that verse, because I'm focusing on two today, is the general statement, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. They know better, but they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil. Okay, here's, here's our Slack question. And you can, answer, you can talk on Slack outside of the questions, but the questions are to keep us in conversation. What do you think it means to acknowledge God? What do you think it means to acknowledge God? While you guys are answering that, I want to give us a a story. Uh, I was in high school. I went to Huron Heights in Newmarket, which was a lot of fun. 
I really enjoyed being at Huron Heights in Newmarket in some ways until they expelled me. <laughs> um, they expelled me because I, I, I didn't go to classes. I stayed in the cafeteria with my Bible telling people about Jesus. Literal story. Um, and so I learned a lot. Um, but I went to Huron Heights, and, and I have, a, I have this, this memory of being an extrovert in high school. I love to be around people. I don't like small talk. I just love to be around people. I love deep conversations. And so here I am. I'm around all of these people, but there was this ritual that happened every day if I was present. Happened every day, whether I was present or not, but I got to participate in it if I was there. And, uh, and it was awesome because the bell would ring, the classes would empty, and instantaneously, the hallways would be shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder full of people. Now, this happens at more schools than just here on. It happens at most high schools. And so they're shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with people, and I would call it the parade. Because you're literally walking, acknowledging everybody that's along the way. I'm acknowledging them. I'm overcrowded hallways. And, and you rank them. I didn't realize this until my last year of high school. I didn't realize exactly what we were doing, but we were ranking people. So you rank them as to, are you a, hey, how you doing person? Or are you like a, hey. Or are you a stop in the hall, blah, 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 and then the, the mob is running you over. Like, the type of person coming at you is determining your response. There's the, there's the plain ignore the person, because you can't stand them. There's the ignore the person because you don't know them. There's the, there's the wave, like, hey, how you doing? The head nod. This is a, this is a loss of power. So, so the head nod means that that person is, is, is you're, you're taking power from them because you're not acknowledging them the way that you're just, you know, walk on, you know? Um, and then there's, the, then there's all of these. So, so this, is, this is what it was, acknowledging these, these people. But what does it mean in this text to acknowledge God? One is accepting his existence, giving God glory, to give glory to him, to acknowledge him, it's him and not me. To use a God-filled mindset to be willing to listen to what he wants from, for us and listen to what we shouldn't do to follow his teaching. Denying yourself and yielding to his word. I feel like this is, this is so interesting. The way that this is coming, this is, this is going from like, and like, it's like we're entering into a pool that just gets deeper and deeper um, in, in terms of just the order of, of things. Believing in his existence and his authority over us, over all of creation, um, acknowledging God means he is the boss. Understanding that he's my creator, sustainer, redeemer. Um, <laughs> so this is, this is where, where we, we go with what does it mean to acknowledge God. Acknowledging God is much bigger than giving the head nod or someone just wrote it's two head nods. It's like an up and a down. You know? Um, or there's actually, sorry, it's the up. Hey. And the down is like, Hey. Um, sorry, that's probably what was meant by it. Um, acknowledging God's bigger than giving a nod, of exists, a nod to the existence of God, which is honestly what many of us do a lot of times. It actually means paying attention to all the implications of God being God, and therefore us not being God. 
Acknowledging God is accepting the authority of God. It's accepting the authority of God. Pay attention to the implications of God's authority. Do we acknowledge God like a high school student in the hallway, or do we pay full attention to his authority over our life? See, Paul's continuing his his argument from last week, right? He jumped right in to Jesus is Lord, and he said the gospel message was Jesus is Lord, who is the rightful king of Israel, come to rule all of the nations, Make all things right. Jesus has this authority because of his resurrection, like we discussed. God's showing kindness to us by giving us a path of inclusion into Jesus' kingdom. Into the kingdom of God where Jesus is Lord. Does acknowledging God require surrender? Great question coming in from Slack. And I think that that what we get in this I think where we're going with this is that I think we come to, yes. Look at, look at what happened in Romans 1, 28 to 32. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. There's the consequence. The consequence is when we do not acknowledge God as the authority, it starts to break down. It's the, the, the decisions that we make in life start to break down. We start to say, okay, God, I'm going to do it my way. So when we get to the question, does acknowledging God require surrender? We start to see very quickly that if God is God, if Jesus is Lord, then I am not. And that I am not becomes really important. Because when we ignore God, God gives up us up to our debased minds. It's not that they were doing all of these things before. It's that these things are the outcomes of not acknowledging God. Look at this. When you remove God as the authority, you set yourself up as the authority or somebody else, an idol, a hero, uh, an, an ideal, an Uh, an ideology, you set something else up as the authority. And the problem is that you have no authority to set up another authority. So there's nothing that stops. Say, for example, one of you, you say, here's the ideology I want to follow. And if it's in conflict to the ideology that I chose to follow, neither of us has the authority to actually claim that I am righterer than you are. And this is the problem our world's getting into. Our world is in a problem because we have removed the authority of God and God gave us up to a debased mind to replace authority with whatever we thought was right at the time. And it's conflicting. And guess what happens? We become filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil. We become, we become filled with covetousness. Because I want what that person who has that ideology, I want what they have, and my ideology says I should have it. We we have malice. We, We have hatred towards their ideals and their place of thought. We set ourselves up against them, whoever they are. 
because we didn't submit our whole culture, not just me personally, our whole culture didn't submit to God as God. We set ourselves up and said, now we're fighting. They're full of envy, murder, and strife. Oh, but my ideology is peaceful. Yeah, it's peaceful. Okay, great. Until you can't stand the other person who has an ideology that doesn't agree with you. You're peaceful until somebody just keeps on saying something that you disagree with and you can't stand them and you cut them out of your life. That's not peace. The whole social media piece about like, oh, let's, let's, just be, let's, let's just be nice to everybody, but if you say something wrong, you're out. So we're left with the outcome of not having God as the authority we have as a culture debased minds. Can a person, this is for you guys to debate, can a person with a debased mind come to Jesus? Can a person with a debased mind come to Jesus? See, the verse in 28 says, God gave them up. He gave them over to it. Why does God give people over? God will not enforce his power on people that do not want his way. That is a scary thought. God will not enforce his power on people that do not want his way. He's not going to force you to do it his way. He's going to let you do it your own way. He's not going to use his power position because he has a power position. All God has to do is show up without a veil and we're all just like, okay, God, whatever you want. Right? God will not use that power to make you do anything. So the outcome comes as follows. Without acknowledging the authority of God, there's, there is no foundation of universal opinion that has merit. And it leads to the disunity I was just talking about. Without a common standard or central authority, we judge each other and look for a morally superior advantage. So, someone just said, there's nothing that can separate us from God except for ourselves? Yes. Isn't that messed up? You, well, we start off not knowing God, but once we've become knowledgeable about God... We are the ones who can push away from God. Say, God, I, because I don't acknowledge you, I'm not acknowledging you as Lord anymore. God's just like, okay, I'm going to give you over to the base of mine. Does God not make Jonah go and preach where he didn't want to? Well, maybe I'm reading that differently, but it feels like it was a, he was a bit railroaded not to be contrarian. Thank you for being contrarian. God made it appealing for Jonah to go and preach. Remember, Jonah was, was, he, he was eaten by the whale and spit out on the land. So in the, in the whale, Jonah made a decision. He was like, oh, okay, this isn't going well for me. He gets out of, he gets out of the jail, out of the jail, whale, 
Whale jail. See, my preaching is awesome. Clearly not why we are here. We are here to do mission outside the four walls. No, we get out, he gets out of the whale, and he still is a person of his own free enterprise. He chooses to follow God. Can a person with a debased mind still come to Jesus? I did and I do. God won't use his power to force us because he wants our love. So good. Romans 2, 1 to 5. Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges in passing judgment upon on another, you condemn yourself because you've placed yourself in the position of God. You've placed yourself in the position of God in order to judge. You practice the very same things. You know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, O oh, oh Christian, O oh Jew, do you suppose, you who judge those who practice such things yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impertinent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The danger of our North American Christian model is this. It makes us too presumptuous. We jump way too quickly to the absolution of sin. Do you suppose that you're going to escape God's judgment? We presume way too easily on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience. I was praying about this sermon this morning and God gave me this. You like to have the freedom to set things up your way and do what you want to do. And as a Christian, we have that model. We have that space. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just believe in Jesus, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live my life in what seems right to me, but yeah, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Christianity is challenging because it's not about your sins. It's not all just about your sins being forgiven because here's the thing. Who cares if a random dude who died 2,000 years ago, forgave your sins. It's irrelevant. You're all like, what the heck? Think about it. If a random dude died 2,000 years ago to forgive your sins, who cares? If some guy named, I don't know, Harvey. Thank you. If some guy named Harvey died in the year five, and right as he died, he said, I forgive all sins from now on. Nobody cared. Nobody cares. Who cares if a dude 2,000 years ago forgives your sins? Christianity is not about that. Christianity is not about Jesus, uh, putting faith in Jesus as a nice person who's your friend. 
It's about putting your faith in Jesus as Lord, as the one who has authority over you. I'm the pastor of a church. I do not have authority over any one of you. I am your peer. I am filled by the same spirit that you are filled with. But the one who does have authority over us is Jesus, because he is Lord. He is the one who forgave your sins. He is the one who has the power to invite you into his eternal kingdom. So how will you adjust? The core of the gospel is the reality that the lordship of Jesus makes all things right. And if you believe that the lordship of Jesus is what is needed, then your foundation of life has now shifted from being under your control to in as much as you can muster, as much as you can figure out, it is under the control of Jesus as Lord. There is an authoritative difference. I gave up my control. So the question that came earlier is, can we do this? So someone says, how do you balance grace with truth here? Grace says, yes, God forgives you, the worst sinner, and comes to him. But truth says that if you enter into a relationship with Jesus, then you have to submit to his true authority. See, God is not judging how often you sin. God is judging did you make him Lord? Does he have the power to change you? Guys, I screw up all the time. So grace, man, I can't, I can't even get into God's kingdom without God's permission. I can't even get into God's kingdom without his permission. But the question is, and, and I'm going to go on here. Jesus is Lord and Master, the commander, the one with authority. And if you resist today, he'll let you. He'll even forgive you. But don't fool yourself if you're continuing on in ways that Jesus doesn't want you to. Because get this, he'll even forgive you. But you're, are you training your heart towards living the eternal reality If you resist God now, how much more will you resist him in eternity? Because he's not changing. If you don't like God's ways now, how will you live at peace with God in eternity? I'm not talking about how often you sin. I'm talking about your heart direction. You're longing. Are you longing for Jesus to be Lord or do you just hope Jesus turns a blind eye to your repeated assertion of your lordship? That's hard. That's hard. When I get caught in a sin, I don't beat myself up because I'm in the sin. I want to ask a deeper question. Why do I hold on to this sin? Am I demanding my own control of my own life instead of submitting it to God and saying, Jesus, your Lord, 
I want to live like you. As with any look at Romans, there are a number of contentious concepts that we're circling around here to the extent of total depravity, the irresistible nature of God's grace, and the role of faith and works. Of course, you're absolutely right. We're, we're circling around these, but the, but the central piece that we're landing on is the cognitive decision that I have put my faith in Jesus, not just as the person who's going to overlook my sins, but as the total authority that I will run my life by. Jesus is Lord. And yes, I am depraved. Yes, I do sin, and so do you. And we rely on this Lord to say, I see your sin, but I see your heart wants me to take control of that, wants me to be Lord. See, if I hold on to the evils in my heart, be 100% sure, be 100% sure that God will remove those evils from existence. And if I hold on too tightly, oh, I hold on to all of the evils that I am tricked and deceived and even sometimes willingly participate in. I hold them on with an open hand so that when the Lord Jesus removes evil, that's gone. I'm not holding on to it. We are Christians because we're putting saving faith in Jesus as the Lord who forgives. It's different than just pretending that Jesus just overlooks all of my evils. He doesn't. Do we presume that God's going to overlook our participation in evil when God will destroy all evil? Did we overlook the obvious fact that Romans 2 brings out that God's kindness to us right now is not meant for us to be lazy, but meant for us to, to come to repentance. And repentance is not just like, dear Jesus, I sinned. Help me, help me come to you again when I sin again. Repentance literally is a turning from one direction and saying, oh, wrong way, people. I'm going this way. And so, so did, we, did, did we overlook the fact, that's what Paul's asking here, do you overlook the fact that God's kindness is meant to lead you to change the very direction and orientation of your life? Does God have your permission? Does God have the authority to redefine who you are? That's what Christianity is about. Someone just wrote, Jesus is Lord, and that is the gospel. It is good news, because his lordship invites you in. You are invited. You didn't earn it. You're not working for it. You're invited in. That's your call. So, I've talked a lot about authority, and I have a lot of Christians in this room. A lot of people who follow Jesus. This is not a condemning message. This is a message that says, remember to keep him Lord, He's the authority. So here's the question. What's something that you've done successfully where you've given God authority over in your life? This isn't about boasting. This is about a testimony. I gave God authority over this in my life, and it changed me. What's something in your life? What's a specific thing 
in your life that you might have struggled with in the past, that you've said this has been hard, and you gave authority over to Jesus, and, and you were transformed, you were changed, and now you are like this because you followed Jesus. Guys, I'm looking at faces here of people that I know and I love, and I know there are tons of these stories. Places where we've said, yes, Jesus is Lord. Look at how he's changed me. Look at what he's done to improve my life. Look at what he's done to set things up according to his kingdom. Do you live life like you acknowledge that God has the authority in your life? Are you regularly checking with God to what you know of God and the Holy Spirit to see if you are where God wants you to be? Do you come humbly to God saying, God, have mercy on me and show me where I can improve? Do you avoid ranking yourself above others and therefore have humility? Do you do that better than anybody else you know? Three people were listening. <laughs> so do you, are you doing these things? To the degree that we participate positively, we're freed from the bondage and the outcome of our sinful activity. But it's hard work. You're, 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 you're invited in. That's the gospel. Jesus is Lord and you're invited in. He has forgiven you. Don't ever let... It, his forgiveness is important because of his position. He's not a nobody. He's not no Harvey. Jesus is Lord. That's what makes his forgiveness important. But because he's Lord, he also gives you places, opportunities to say, okay, I submit to you. Somebody wrote, grace is not an excuse to keep sinning. When we know who God is, it changes who we are. Are we perfect? No, but definitely. But our goal is to live and imitate Jesus as much as we can. If we know there's something that we do that doesn't please God, we need to change it. I know from experience that sometimes I can't quiet my mind down enough or I don't slow down enough to hear him and make some decisions without his direction. But lately, he's been making me look inward and shining a light where work is needed. Thanks be to God for that testimony. Thanks be to God. This is my life as well. I concur with that. Homeschooling, gambling addictions, my choice of friends, mental health decisions, order in our home, priorities, my marriage. Harvey is important to God, and Jesus loves Harvey. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if your name's Harvey, Jesus loves you, this is for you. Given authority to God over with my kids and how I raise my kids, my marriage, authority over raising my children, using my money and my marriage. Hey, um, anger, work. It's funny. Because giving it to God, after giving it to God, blessings have poured, have poured out. My marriage, God told me to marry Jordan. <laughs> I love it. It's so true, though. Um, being a good neighbor, awfully short-lived after 42 years trying to live spiritually, recognizing God's not surprised by my circumstances. God named our third child. God gave me authority over drugs. Wow. This is testimony. Too quickly we forget that Jesus is Lord and it gives him authority over us. 
but his authority is good. Greg Boyd is a theologian, and he doesn't like the, the simple articulation of the gospel being Jesus' Lord, because he goes, what type of Lord is he? He is a good Lord who transforms us for the better. That's enough for today. God gives us humility as we acknowledge him as Lord of our life. So Lord Jesus, today as we come in prayer, give us a constant reminder that we've been invited into your way of ruling the, the world. God, that it's better. Help us put faith in the fact that your way is better. We're so deceived in this world that our way is better because they used nice words and phrases and they're rather shallow. But your way is better and it leads to hope and life rather than envy and strife. Our way didn't work, Lord. It didn't work. It made us wealthy but alone. So God, I pray that we as a church would repent continually and seek after your way, seeking after your truth, the glory of God, and the furtherance of your kingdom. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless you. Jesus is Lord. I'm so encouraged by that.